week we talked about the rainbow, amen? Last Wednesday we talked about the rainbow and why it's been hijacked and people who have hijacked it, that the rainbow doesn't have anything to do with the LGBTQ plus anything movement. Has everything to do with God's promise never, ever, ever to flood the earth again, amen? That's what the rainbow represents. We're in Genesis 9, and we're going to finish this chapter. <laughs> uh, we're going to be starting at verse... I believe yeah verse 18 Genesis chapter 9 verse 18 and the sons of Noah that went forth out of the ark were Shem Ham and Japheth and Ham is the father of Canaan and these are the three sons of Noah, and of them the whole earth was overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman and planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was drunken. And when he was uncovered within his tent, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without, and Sham and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backwards, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Sham, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Sham, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years. All the days of Noah's life were 950 years, and he died. Now, we're going to start this, a very peculiar portion of this text. We started at verse 18, and we had just gotten out of uh, God giving the promise of the rainbow in the sky. Remember verse 17, he tells Noah, uh, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth, that he would never again flood the earth. Amen. Now, Noah, his first response of getting out of the ark was to do what? Remember? He built an altar and offered sacrifice, right? So he built this altar, offered sacrifice. God's pleased with the sacrifice. And then God comes and makes covenant with Noah, telling Noah, I am making this covenant with not only you and your descendants, but every living thing on the face of the earth. I'm making this covenant. Amen. So here in verse 18, Genesis chapter 9, verse 18, it says, The sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. 
and Ham is the father of Canaan. And these three sons of Noah and them, of them was the whole earth overspread. Now, the part that I wanted to focus on a little bit here, uh, just for, uh, I'm kind of weird and nerdy. <clears throat> but if you look at verse, uh, da -da 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 -da. Verse 24, and it said, And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done. So right here it's talking about Ham being the younger son, okay? Now this isn't important to anybody but nerds like me, okay? And so what we see is it gives us the order of Sham, Ham, and Japheth, right? But that's not giving you their order of birth. It's not even giving you their order of importance, okay? So who would you think is the older brother? We know that Ham, just by this verse, verse 24 of chapter 9, we know that Ham is the younger brother, okay? So now we have Sham and Japheth, okay? If you turn to Genesis chapter 10, verse 21, I want to show you something. And the King James has it very easily read. The King James says this, Unto Shem also, the father of all the children of Eber, the brother of Japheth, the elder, even unto him were children born. Now in this one, it would seem to suggest that Japheth is Shem's elder brother. Okay? Huh? Yeah, he's the oldest. But modern scholars kind of mess this up. Watch this. If you turn in an ESV like I'm about to do, I'm going to show you something. Verse 21 in the ESV says this. To Shem also, the father of all children of Eber, the elder brother of Japheth. It says the elder brother of Japheth. Now, which one's right? It doesn't matter, okay? It's, it's not like a point of, oh my God, the whole Bible's wrong. You, you, did you get that out of the King James that... that Sham as the elder brother, right. So modern scholars, modern scholars, most modern scholars tend to think that Sham is the older brother. Now, the wording in the Hebrew would lead one to believe that Japheth is the older, okay? And three, four, five hundred years ago, Matthew Henry in 1700s, he thought that Japheth was the older brother. The Hebrew reads like this, okay, and I just want to give you a, a, the context of the Hebrew. The elder brother statement is after Japheth, okay, in the Hebrew. So it makes it refer to Japheth, okay, or it, it gives them the idea that it is. But if you take the whole sentence in context, it sounds like you're talking about Sham, okay? So we can debate if Sham's the elder brother or we can debate if Japheth is the elder brother. 
The reality is we see Sham in the story getting the, uh, he's the one that's going to have the tents, right? Not only is uh, Sham going to have the tents, but Ham is going to serve, he's going to serve Je uh, Sham, right? Now, Japheth isn't going to get his own tents, okay? He's going to live in he's going to live in Sham's tents, okay? So the idea that Sham is probably the elder brother is kind of built into the story, okay? I want to go back and read it again so you can get this, okay? Watch this what it says in about Sham and uh, Ham, okay? Verse 25 it says and he said, "Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brothers." And blessed be the Lord God of Sham, right? Verse 26. And Canaan shall be his servant. Now watch this. God shall enlarge Japheth. So Japheth is going to be a great people, right? We can see that. But, and he shall live in the tents of Sham. Amen? So Japheth is going to be blessed, and Japheth is going to be a great people, but Japheth is going to live in the tents of Sham. Okay, what is this significance for? Because this is the line of Sham that's going to go down to Abraham. Okay, the line of Sham goes to Abraham. Okay, there's a lot of implications about the line of Sham. Now, a lot of people still try to make it seem like Japheth is the older brother. You know what? God can do anything with anybody he wants. And David was not the elder brother in his house, was he? Matter of fact, he was the youngest of several brothers, right? So that doesn't necessarily mean that just because Japheth is the older brother, he's going to be the predominant brother. Amen? Now, generally speaking, God says the firstborn is mine, right? Firstborn male child is mine, and he'll inherit the blessing. Remember? That's later on in the law, right? It wasn't that way with Jacob and Esau. Matter of fact, God makes all kinds of exceptions throughout Scripture on those bases. Joseph was another example. Joseph was not the eldest brother. Amen? But he got the blessing. Amen? He was close to the youngest. He was close. I think Benjamin was actually younger than him. Uh, but anyway, at any rate, that was just one little nugget that I wanted to get right off the top. Amen? Uh, there is a lot of significance in this story, okay? First, we see Noah begin to be a husbandman, or and he, he started a vineyard, right? So he started dressing this vineyard. We began that in verse twenty. It's, I got a note here. The parallels continue between Noah and Adam. As Noah is now shown to be a farmer, literally man of the soil, Adamaha. Remember that word? Adam, Adam, or Adama, and Adam. Adam means man, right? And then Adama meant soil, right? Or man of the soil, right? So here again, Noah is being compared to Adam, the the whole 
this is a new creation, right? God has wiped the whole earth clean, killed everybody in the flood except these eight people and everything that was on the ark with them, right? So it continues here that he looks like uh, the second Adam in the new world prepared for him by God. As Adam had sinned through the consumption of fruit, so Noah drank of wine and was drunken. After, after sin entered into the world, shattering innocence, nakedness was associated with shame. In this case, Noah brought shame upon himself through his sinful drunkenness. A minimum of two years must have elapsed between verse 20 and verse 21 since grapes must grow that long before they can produce grapes. Grapevines have to grow that long before they can produce grapes big enough to do that with. Right. Well, you can actually ferment wine uh, fairly quickly. Wine... Wine doesn't take years and years and years and years. It gets better with age, but it gets intoxicating very easily, okay? Uh, uh, right now, we have a grapevine that's been growing in our backyard for two years, and it's producing small grapes right now, okay? It might even take another year for it to get grapes big enough to eat, okay? So it had to be at least two years in between this for Noah to have grown an orchard big enough to get grapes big enough to turn into wine, okay? <laughs> uh, that's the, the gist of that, okay? Now, the story is pretty, pretty straightforward. He says, he drank wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. Now, there's a big debate on this, whether... Uh, what Ham did to him because there's some people that jump right off the perverted bridge that you know Ham just went in there and, and molested his father and and then there's another school of thought that the nakedness could mean his wife and and so Ham saw his mother's nakedness you know or he molested his mother and I don't see that in the text okay um what I have, a, I have a hard time thinking that if they saw, if he saw his mother naked, why is he not, she not mentioned in the story at all? Right? Well, it doesn't even mention her. her the mother never once mentioned in this story, right? Not once. So I can't superimpose her into the text because I want the nakedness of Noah to mean something other than his personal nakedness. Amen? Now, it, they're correct. After, after the flood, the, the nakedness of human beings was a shameful thing, especially your parents, right? Seeing your parents. It could be traumatizing, right? Like, just accidentally walk in on your mom or your dad, like, like, oh, my eyes melted out of my head, right? Like, nobody wants to see that. But the fact that Sham, or I mean Ham, excuse me, the fact that Ham could not only see his father naked and not be bashful about it, but he calls his other brothers. He's like, look, dad's in here naked, right? 
Instead of going, oh my gosh, my dad's naked. Go get, cover up, dad, wake up. Right? He didn't do any of that. It's almost if it's, it's almost as if he was scoffing at his dad or mocking his dad, which would fall into the category of not honoring your father, right? And beholding another person's nakedness, okay? So we got two things going on here. He's kind of mocking his dad and wants his brothers to join in with him. Uh, but like I said, this, this whole thing of Noah's nakedness, uh, if we read it again, uh, and he drank wine and was drunken and was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. And Sham and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon their shoulders and went backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backwards and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. Okay? The wording here seems to say several times, Noah's nakedness. Noah's nakedness. His nakedness. Right? And then it says, he knew what his younger son had done unto him. Now, I can't argue with people who say, well, if it was his wife and Ham done something to his wife, it's just as if he was doing something unto his father. That's true, but that's not what's in the text. Nor do you see the mother addressed anywhere in this story, right? Nowhere. So I can't put her in there. So Noah's nakedness to me, just by the text, means his own nakedness. Amen? Can we agree on that? Yeah, him, yeah, him inviting his brothers to come see would have been a, a, a very uncouth thing to do, right? Not, not proper, not, not dignified, right? First of all, Noah's already undignified. He's laying naked in his tent, right? Like, close the tent door or something, right? <laughs> like. Like, this is why they started putting doors on things, because, you know. But no, Noah, in all intents and purposes, drinking and becoming intoxicated at that point wasn't against the rules, you know what I mean? So Noah technically wasn't wrong in what he did, but I would say this. Just because the law wasn't there yet didn't mean that wasn't God's expectation. Amen? Because obviously we know that the law was not around at the time of Cain and Abel, but Cain killed Abel and he got cursed. Right? Just saying. Just because there isn't a written rule doesn't mean God doesn't have an expectation on us. Amen? So Noah becoming drunk enough to get naked in his tent was probably a slip in moral judgment on Noah's part. Amen? And then, he was so drunk, he didn't realize he's naked. Okay? Now, Noah's fault. Ham didn't have to come in there and look. And it says what he done unto him. Now, there's a lot of people that make out, make up all kinds of stories about what happened. 
He, you know, he went in there and molested his father, and he done this to him, and he done that to him. But the text clearly says and emphasizes the fact that he saw his father's nakedness. Amen. So, huh? That's a good point. That's a good point. I'll get there. I will answer that question, okay? I will answer that question. Uh, first, I want to do this. The reason that this story seems so benign to us is because we live in a culture where it's just normal to see other people's nakedness. You know what I mean? We've been desensitized to it. You know what I mean? I mean, we watch a movie and then poof, there it went, and we don't think two things about it, right? We're like, oh, it's just a movie, right? No. You just beheld somebody else's nakedness, which is not right, right? God doesn't want us sitting there talking at other people's goodies, right? That's why we get married. That's why he tells women, hey, cover up all your good stuff. Leave some stuff to the imagination, right? The point is he's wanting us to walk in modesty, amen? And we're not doing that when we're beholding other people's nakedness. So I wrote a paper on this for school one time, and I, I basically made my argument that the reason people think this is no big deal is because of the culture we live in, okay? If this, uh, this would have happened 300 years ago, this is big news. You know what I mean? Oh, my gosh. He was laying in his tent naked, and his son was just standing there staring at him. First of all, that's weird, okay? All right, right? I remember one time, my brother, James is going to love me for telling this story, okay? I remember one time when my nephew was like one and a half, okay? And I'm living with my brother Bryant and his wife, and I'm in the bathroom, and I'm just going using the bathroom like guys do, okay? We stand up, go into the bathroom. And my nephew just pokes his head around my side. How are you doing, Uncle Kevin? And I'm like, oh no, <laughs> get out of here, right? The point is, I was embarrassed because he shouldn't be seeing me like that, right? The fact that Ham could just sit there and stare at his father's nakedness and not only stare at it, but come and invite his brothers to look at it is showing a very, very, very big moral failure on Ham's part, amen? Because the reality is most people, when they see their father or their brother, they're going to be like, oh, gosh, sorry, 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 right? That's the normal response, right? Ham didn't do that. He was just like, oh, man, look at that. Now, I don't know if he was... We can insinuate all we want, but the, the, the text just says he saw his father's nakedness. Didn't say he enjoyed it. He could have. Could have been part of the sin nature, right? Could have. Not saying that he didn't. What I'm saying is the sin in view here is seeing his father's nakedness, and this is a sin. Amen? We need to see it as a sin and not... Not dumb it down to just, oh, this isn't a big deal. No, it is a big deal. Amen? That's what I'm trying to get at when I'm talking about it, is that this is a big deal. Now, why he does, 
let me, I'll, I got a couple more notes and I'll get to your question, okay? Uh, a parent's sin often becomes a child's stumbling block. And it, it has Exodus 34, 7 as a quote, okay? So if you will, flip over to Exodus 34. We're going to see why they tie this verse together, okay? Exodus 34, 7. Okay. <laughs> Too many books. Not enough space. Exodus 34, 7. All right. We can read it from verse 5. The Lord descends in the clouds and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and generous, or merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity upon the father, upon the, uh, upon the fathers, upon the children, and upon the children's children unto the third and fourth generations. Amen. Now, what does he mean what are, what are they talking about here when this, this note says that a parent's sin often becomes a child's stumbling block? Let's just think about this for several different reasons, okay? We already noted that when Adam sinned, what did he do? He ate fruit. Everybody's like, no big deal. No, God told him, don't eat that tree. Anytime God says, don't do something and you do it, you have absolutely created or acted in a treacherous way against God. You have committed treason against the God of the entire universe. Amen? And that sin that Adam done birthed the sin that caused God to condemn all life on this planet. Okay? What was the very next step in this step of sin? Remember, Adam disobeyed God, did not hearken unto the voice of God, but hearkened unto the voice of his wife and ate the fruit when he knowingly, willfully ate the fruit, right? Willful sin. The very next sin that comes to, comes to view is Cain killing Abel. And then the very next sin in view after that is Lamech killing two men. Right? So we've seen a progression from disobedience to murder to double murder. And then it was so bad in just one chapter. Chapter 6 says that God saw that every thought of the intent of man's heart was evil continually. That's where we got. And that's what I see in Ham standing at his father's tent door and not covering his eyes, not turning away, not trying to cover his father's shame. It's the wickedness of sin still ingrained in human flesh because the flood, although it wiped out all of those people, it did not kill the sin nature that we human beings now possess. Right? So a parent's sin often becomes a child's stumbling block. 
In this, what he's saying is Noah's sin of becoming drunk and leaving himself naked become his son's stumbling block. Amen? Would, would Ham even have been cursed or his son be cursed if Noah would just have abstained and not become drunk to the point that he was naked in his tent? Amen? So Noah, for all intents and purposes, was the unwittingly stumbling block for his son. Amen? That's what they're talking about. Now, this scripture does not give Noah any credit for this. It is Ham and Ham's fault alone. Amen? So we don't get to blame our sin on my dad was in there. No. Your dad's sin is his and your sin is yours. Amen? In, the, in this case, Ham dishonored his father and thus sinned. Now, I want to go to Exodus chapter 20 and look at a verse here, uh, verse 12, Exodus 20 and verse 12. Okay, that's why it don't make no sense. Exodus 20 and verse 12, what does it say? Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God has given you. Why are they tying this verse to it? Because Shem is absolutely dishonoring his father by not turning away and by just staring at his dad's nakedness. Amen? He's dishonoring his father. Now, I'll stop right here for a second. That is another sin that we take very lightly today. Right? Like not honoring our father and mother, that's a sin that we do all the time. And we just don't take a second thought to it. Amen? But the reality is it's in the Ten Commandments. It's so important that it make God's top ten list. Okay? That's how important honoring our father and mother is is that it made God's top ten list okay not only that it's the first it's the first commandment with a promise honor thy father and mother that it may go well for you in the land that you, the Lord thy God gives you amen this commandment is vitally important because just like your wife just like your husband just like right how I love my mother and my father shows how I love my heavenly father, okay? Shows how I view my heavenly father. How, my, how I love my wife tells her how I view Christ. Let that sink in. Your witness from your spouse, from your spouse's point of view, isn't necessarily what they see you doing for God. It's more often than not, how they see you loving them. How they see you sacrifice for them and do for them. Amen? That, more often than not, tells them whether your love for God is genuine or not. Same thing here. God said, if you want to honor me, honor your father and mother. Amen? Top ten list. 
It's in God's top ten list. <clears throat> First, he dishonored his father by staring at his nakedness. Uh, there's a verse for this in Habakkuk. If you know where Habakkuk is, turn to Habakkuk, and we're going to look at that. As soon as I find it, I'll turn there. Somebody said amen. Hey, I found Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Some people say it different. I'm not a, I'm not a scholar. I just say Habakkuk. Okay, that's how I pronounce it. Habakkuk 2, verse 15. It says, Woe unto them that giveth his neighbor drink, and putteth thy bottle to him, and maketh him drunken, that thou may lookest upon their nakedness. God's saying this through the prophet Habakkuk, and he's telling them, Woe unto them that do this. Now, Ham didn't put the bottle in his dad's hand, right? And Ham didn't make him drunk, but Ham sat there and beheld his nakedness while he was drunk, passed out in his tent, right? So this is showing you God's view of this sin, that it's horrible enough for God to pronounce woe on somebody. You know what that means? Cursed! Cursed be the one that does that. Amen? Now watch this. Second, he increases both his sin and his father's shame by reporting his father's condition to other people. Later, the law stipulates curses for dishonoring your parents. This is a big deal. Are we seeing that it's kind of a big deal now? Like he's saying, point blank, it compounded Ham's sin by trying to involve his brothers. Okay? Now to his brothers, to his brothers' credit, they were a lot wiser men than Ham was. Amen. Shem and Japheth demonstrate their own nobler natures by reacting to their father's condition, <clears throat> by reacting to their father's condition far differently than Ham. First, they did not look upon their father's shameful condition. Second, they covered the nakedness of their father, thus ending his shame. Their actions parallel God's clothing Adam following Adam's sin. Remember, God took some skins and covered Adam and Eve, right? This is the first sign of God covering people's shame. Amen? And when you come to Christ, that's exactly what's happening. The, the, the sacrificial lamb of Christ has been slain, and his blood is posted on you, and it covers your shame. Amen? Now, when Noah knew what his younger son had done, he placed the curse on Ham's son, who would be the lowest slaves unto his brethren, that is, unto the descendants of Shem and Japheth. In later centuries, the Canaanites and the descendants of Cain were, pressed in, were oppressed and were pressed into slavery by Israel. You can find this in Joshua 17, 13, Judges 1, 28 through 35, uh, 1 Kings 9, 20 through 21. This curse does not refer to the descendants of Ham who settled in Africa. 
Now, I want to I want to I want to look at this real quick because what he's saying is he puts it on Canaan, not for any reason, not just because of the sin of Ham, but that Canaan played a part in future events for Israel. Okay, so this is the beginning of a prophecy or a prophetic journey for the descendants of Ham. Okay, for the line of Canaan, okay? Now, the line of Canaan did not go into Africa, correct? They didn't go there, right? The land of Canaan is not in Africa, am I right? Because that's where Abraham came, comes to later, right? The land of Canaan, he goes from the Ur of the Chaldeans, north, west, to Canaan. That's where he goes, the land of Canaan. That's all around where modern-day Jerusalem and, and Bethel and all those places. That's where it is, right? That's also the land that Noah, or not Noah, Moses and Joshua are standing by the Jordan River, and they're looking out, and they see people as big as giants, right? The promised land, Canaan, right? So this land, which is going to be given to Israel at a later date, right? The descendants of Sham are going to own that land. And the descendants of Ham, Canaan, are going to be their slaves, which is exactly what happens. So it's not just, oh, uh, you did wrong, so I'm cursing your son. Now that is, in part, what happened, but it was for a broader purpose that God was bringing about. Amen. Now you go, hold on a minute. You're telling me that God had a purpose to enslave this people? Yep. Guess what? God had a, had a purpose for enslaving Israel. Remember Israel's sins? They get taken in captivity to, to Assyria first and then, then to Babylon, right? The reality is there's always punishment for sin. And God uses whatever means he wants to to accomplish that task. And it's, it's worth noting that when Israel sinned to the point that they were going into captivity in Babylon, that God says, I have raised up Nebuchadnezzar to come and to put to the sword those who have disobeyed me. Okay? That's a big statement. That's a big statement by God that he has raised up. Nebuchadnezzar was a heathen, worshipped other gods, right? But God used him for his own purpose to bring Israel back to himself. But we're so hard-headed, it takes stuff like that for us to listen, right? It takes, how many of you, most everybody's story of, of Christ finding them sounds like this. Well, there was a real low spot in my life. I was at my bottom of my rope. I was at the bottom of the barrel at the end of my rope. Everything was going wrong. Every, I lost everything. I felt like giving up. I felt like giving in. Then God. Amen. That's how God finds everybody. Why? Because human beings by nature are sinful. And it takes catastrophic, traumatic events for us to turn our faces away from our own selfish desires and look at God. Amen? That's what it takes. So 
often we're just focused on us and what we want to do and what pleases me and mine and what I'm going to get. Amen? This is the purpose of God doing that. It's not just, oh, hey, Ham messed up, so I'm cursing Canaan. Now, that is what happened, but it was for a lot broader of a purpose. Amen? Now, this idea of Canaan being the servants of Israel was abused later on in church history as an excuse to enslave African-American people, the descendants of Ham, okay? You can go verse 21 in chapter 10 where it's talking about the descendants of Sham and, and this stuff, but the reality is not one Canaanite, that not all of Ham's children were cursed, just the line of Canaan. And the line of Canaan didn't live in Egypt or Africa, okay? Matter of fact, it tells you which ones lived where in the next chapter, okay? I just want you to flip to chapter 10 real quick, okay? If you have a fancy Bible like mine, it'll tell you where these different, uh, it'll, give, it'll give you a map of where all these different people went. But if you start from, eh, no, you can start from the beginning of chapter 10. It says, the sons of Japheth were Gomar and Magog and Madi and Javan and Tubal and Meshishish and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Abinaz, and Rapath, and Togamar. Now, after it's done with that, it tells you where they go, okay? Watch this. Uh, by these, verse 5, these are the sons of Japheth. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands, one after his tongue and after his family and after his nation. Now, watch this. Ham's descendants. The sons of Ham were what? Cush, Mezrim, Put, and Canaan. Okay, so four sons, right? Only the son of Canaan is cursed, right? Only the descendants of Canaan, right? Now watch this. Uh, and the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabbath, Rama, and Sabbatish, and the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan, and Cush begat Nimrod, and he became a mighty one in the earth. Now, if you skip down, it's going to tell you where all of these people went, okay? Uh, verse 8, and Aberdite and Zamorite and the Hamath Hamathites, and afterward with the family of Canaanites spread abroad. And the broad, uh, and the border of Canaanites was from Sidon uh, as comest to Gerar unto Gaza 
We know where Gaza is, right? The Gaza Strip, right there in the middle of the Middle East, right in the middle of Israel, right? Come on. Right, the piece of land they're all fighting over. Uh, as thou goest to Sodom and Gomorrah and Amadabe, okay, or Adama, okay? Now, this place, if I could show you on a map, was centered right there in the Middle East where the sons of Canaan went, okay? And then you have uh, Gomar and Adama and Zobium even unto Lashisha, or Lasha, excuse me. These are the sons of Ham after their family, after their tongues, and in their countries, and in their nations. Now, I have a map here of all the different Canaanites that, that are all the different sons of Ham, and Canaanites settled right there in the Middle East. The rest of them settled throughout the northern parts of Africa and down into the, the lower parts by the Red Sea of Africa, okay? Those people were not part of the cursed line of Cain, okay? The, the Canaanites. Okay, but those were not the cursed descendants of Canaan. The cursed descendants of Canaan were right there in the Middle East. Okay, so anybody that would have used that to try to say all the sons of Ham are supposed to be enslaved anyway, they're not being true to biblical text. And they were just following their own lustful desires. It was an abomination to God, and that's what we need to say that it was. Slavery was an abomination unto God. Amen? Not right, was not right, and to try to use the Bible to say it was right, was wrong. You follow me on all that, Mike? Okay, good. All right, now we're going to go back to this text. So Noah curses Canaan instead of Ham, okay? The reason is, God had several reasons, but... The fact that Ham, uh, more than likely, Ham loved Canaan more than his other sons, which is why when the story begins, it says, Ham, the father of Canaan. Why didn't it say Ham, the father of Put, Shammah, and, you know, all the other three brothers, right? It doesn't. It just says the father of Canaan. Why? Because Canaan's about to be cursed. Because Canaan's about to get a punishment put on him for his, from his father. And we know from Exodus where we read that God will put uh, visit iniquity upon the fathers, upon the sons, and upon the, son, the, the children after that to the third and fourth generation. Right? Which is what we see happen all throughout the Old Testament. Israel gets cursed. They go into captivity. So all those generations that are in captivity are suffering because of the curse, right? They're suffering because of their fathers. They're suffering sin and living in a sinful country because of their fathers, amen? And not in the land that they were sworn to have. Why? Because God visited iniquity upon the sons and their sons and their sons, the third and fourth generation. That's what happened, right? Happened all throughout the Old Testament. Finally, God says, 
Blessed is the Lord God of Sham. Notice that Sham is the one God said, Blessed be the Lord God of Sham, okay? And Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Sham, and Canaan shall be his servant also, right? What what did I say? Looked at me funny. So God blesses Sham. Sham's gonna, uh, Canaan's gonna serve Sham. Japheth is gonna live in Sham's tents, and Canaan is gonna serve him also. Okay? Now Matthew Henry makes a point saying that the reason that we have Sham and Japheth being connected here is the Jews and the Gentiles, and we know that we read that Japheth was the one who was the Gentile. Isn't that what it says? Go back to chapter 10, right there at verse uh, 5. By these, these are the sons of Japheth, right? Verse 5, chapter 10. By these were the isles of the Gentiles divided into their lands. Everyone after his own tongue, after his family, right? After their nation. Isles of the Gentiles. So all the Gentile nations came, as far as we can tell, from Jacob. Okay? That's what it said. It doesn't say that about Shem's descendants and Canaan's descendants are cursed, right? Very interesting, the wording, isn't it? It never says anything about Gentile nations any other place except here about Japheth's descendants. So although Japheth could be a representation of Gentiles living in the house of Sham, okay, who is obviously God's chosen line because that's the line that's going to lead to Abraham, right? So we have here a bonding even in the Old Testament as far as Matthew Henry saw it that God was promising the Gentiles and the Israelites were going to be one. Amen? You see that? Japheth is going to live in the tents of Sham. All right, I'm about ready to close. <laughs> this is just really deep. No, it isn't. It's, this is all nerdy stuff, and you have to be a nerd like me to really appreciate it, okay? Uh, lastly, Noah lived... After the flood, 350 years, okay? So how old was Noah when he died? It says all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. Does anybody do math? I'm pretty sure when you're 600, I'm pretty I know. I'm pretty sure when you're 600 when the flood starts, and 601 after the flood. So does the 350 years account for the one year of the flood? That's my question, because it says Noah lived after the flood 350 years. We know Noah was 601 years old when the flood ended. I would have to say that one year encompasses the year the flood started, right? Would have to. 
Anyway, none of this is really deep theological stuff outside of the fact that there's several, several people still operating in sinful flesh. Amen. I mean, you got Ham staring at his dad, Noah getting drunk while sleeping in the tent, right? There's, there's lots of things going on here, and it just keeps going. I told you when we started Genesis, what we was going to see is we was going to see a distinct, a distinction when God made man and then man sinned. We was going to watch the progression of man being judged by God and then God having grace on man and then man continuing to go into sin and God continuing to forgive their sin, punishing them for their sin, forgiving them for their sin. And then the cycle starts over and over and over and over. Amen? Why? Why does God allow it? Because that's what a lot of us, uh, white people ask all the time. Why does good things happen? Why does bad things happen to good people? Well, first of all, I want to qualify something to you. There's no such thing as good people, okay? The reality is, biblically speaking, people are all messed up, every one of us. I mean, me, you, you know, the, 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 just flip your TV on, okay? Turn the radio on for five minutes, and you'll find out people are messed up, right? So the reality is, good things, are, we shouldn't marvel that bad things happen to good people, because there aren't any good people. The reality is we should marvel that anything good happens to any of us. Amen. Why God has graciously allowed me to live even when I've walked in open rebellion towards him is beyond me. Amen. That is the grace of God being demonstrated that I am still drawing breath is an absolute gift from God. Amen. And since I'm still drawing breath and God's being gracious, I should honor God. Amen? That's the point of this text, okay? Even Noah got complacent. Amen? Noah got so complacent that he got drunk and fell asleep and got naked and caused all kinds of problems. Amen? Stumbling block for his son. His son sees his nakedness, doesn't turn from it. <laughs> Noah Curses his grandkid. Wow. That's heavy stuff, right? And all of it is God's plan. Every bit of it. Even the stuff we don't like to think that, yep, God, God, God designed this whole thing for these people to walk this out. Yep, he knew they were going to mess up. Yep, he had a he didn't go, well, uh, once that happens, then I'll make another plan. That ain't how it worked. You know what I mean? God didn't go, I'm going to wipe these people out. Then I'll see how Noah and his kids do. You know, if they do all right, then, then we did a good job. No. God knew that when he wiped all them out and he saved those eight people, that sin was not destroyed. Because God's plan to destroy sin was Christ from the foundation of the world. Amen. The Bible says that Christ has been crucified from the foundation of the world. That means Christ was the plan the whole time. And all of this history that we have led right up 
to Christ redeeming mankind back to God. Amen? So you can just look at this book and you can go, this is all the stuff that these people went through so that God can prove over and over and over and over and over again that he's God and I'm right to put my trust in him. Amen? That's what we ought to get out of this story, is that God's still working even in messed up Sham and Noah and Ham and Canaan. He's working in all that. Amen? Here's the, here's the biggest mystery. He's working in you. He's working in me. Amen? That's the biggest mystery. Why? What, it, what was it that God saw in me? Nothing. It's by grace. If God saw something in me that deserved to be saved, it wouldn't have been grace. It would have just been something owed to me. Right? You know what every one of us are owed? The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That's what every one of us are owed. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you for your word, Lord. Thank you for the time that we have to come and discuss this tonight. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand your plan, your purposes throughout all of Scripture, God. Not just the places that, that are readily available for us to understand, God, but help us to dig in and to find the, the nuggets of truth that are even in stories like this, God, that can help us to keep our hearts and our minds devoted and focused on you. Lord, I pray that you would convict our hearts when we do sin, Lord. If we fall into apathy and, 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 and sin like Noah or, or, or Ham, Lord, that you would convict our hearts and draw us back to yourself. Lord, don't let us go off in the wayward bushes, but keep us on the straight and narrow path. And, Lord, we're going to trust you because the Bible is a testament to your faithfulness. It's a testament to your goodness, God. So we're going to trust you, and we're going to believe your word when it said, He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete the work that he started. Lord, tonight we're going to trust you with that. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone that doesn't know Christ watching this video or, or, or going to listen to the podcast, Lord, that they would come to faith in Christ, that they would repent and believe the gospel and turn, turn to you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.